0: I'm going to do what I've done the last number of Sundays, read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 22, and then we're going to look at uh, just two of the verses that are in that section. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to speak to us today, to help us grasp what we can gain from the few words that we're going to look at today. Teach us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. To begin with today, I want to talk about how we understand the Word of God and uh, the way I understand it. So we're going to start with that. Uh, And also I want to preface this by saying we don't really have many of the issues that many churches have on this particular portion that we're going to look at today. Um, But we could have, and uh, I don't know what each of us thinks about it, so we're going to talk about it in the way we're going to talk about it today. And this will all hopefully make sense when we get to the end. So, first of all, I want to say that there is some difficulty in determining exactly how God intends the various statements in verses 19 through 22 to be connected. How do they go together? The New American Standard ties verses 19 to verse 20. And here's what it says. This is their connection. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. And there are two probable reasons for doing this. First, because both statements are negative exhortations They tell us what not to do. And secondly, because the Holy Spirit is directly involved in both of these exhortations, these activities. The New American Standard then ties together the three exhortations in verses 21 and 22. And the probable reason for this is because examining everything carefully ought to result in discerning the good from the bad and acting accordingly so I'm not faulting the New American Standard for their choice in how they have laid out these statements and tied them together there is no clear indication from the Greek which this is what's taken from as to how these individual statements are to be tied together so I am choosing to tie verse 20 to verse 21a And treat these two statements as one complete exhortation. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. And I'm doing this for two reasons. First, because the Greek includes the word but between verses 20 and the first half of verse 21. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Now, this is not true in all the Greek texts that are used. There's approximately 50 Greek texts that the New Testament has been taken from, but the majority of them include the word but. And when there is this kind of word put in there, but, it means that there is or there may be an exception to the rule. And the reader is being warned to look for those exceptions. I love you, but that means there's an exception to my love for you, right? I care about you, but, and this is exactly what's happening here. The second reason I'm tying verses 20 and 21a, the first half of 21 together, is because the Old Testament includes several stories and warnings about false prophets uh, and tells us how to discern the true from the false In other words, all prophecy is not from God. It is not God speaking. There are exceptions. There were in the Old Testament, and in my personal experience in the church, there are exceptions today. Having tied verses 20 to 21a, I then choose to treat verse 21b, the second half of 21, and verse 22 as a complete exhortation, which says, Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And we will talk about that next. My reason for tying these two exhortations together is because Paul makes a similar statement in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, where he says, Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. So my reasoning is tying these two statements together simply is just another time Paul makes a similar uh, statement. Uh, And we see the two places here in Thessalonians and Romans 12. So back to verse 20. Do not despise prophetic utterances. In the Greek language, verse 20 is a three-word statement. And according to Young's literal translation, verse 20 says, prophesying despise not. Or, as we would say in English, despise not prophesying. Now you may be wondering why I'm pointing out the literal translation instead of just using the New American Standard, which is my favorite translation, obviously, it's the one I use. The literal translation clearly uses the plural for the word prophecy, whereas the New American Standard only infers the plural by using the plural form of the word utterance. They have prophetic utterances which implies the plural. For me, the plural form of prophecy, prophesying, uh, more clearly lends support to applying the word to more than predicting the future. And this is important because the word prophecy is used in the Bible to speak of both foretelling, predicting the future, and forthtelling, teaching, etc., For example, a quick review of the Old Testament prophets shows that they prophesied what was to come in the future, such as foretelling the birth of Christ. That would be an example. But the majority of the prophets' work was foretelling. That is, warning, exhorting, preaching, teaching, comforting, and telling people how God viewed them and their behavior at the moment. We just spent the worship time today Uh, reading from Jeremiah and his job was to warn uh, Judah what was coming and his exhortation to them, his teaching to them was, don't resist, just accept God's discipline, go with it and you'll be better off. He was still a prophet. He was still doing the prophet's work, but he wasn't foretelling. He was exhorting them to deal with it accordingly. All right, so you might want to say, but only the foretelling is prophecy. Well, in a way, that's how we use the word prophecy, foretelling. But that's the way we use it. It isn't the way the scripture uses it. You see, the scripture uses the word prophecy to take in both sides, foretelling and foretelling. Not only do we see that in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, Paul labels preaching, teaching, warning, exhorting, and comforting as prophecy. And he speaks of those kinds of prophecy as that which edifies or builds up the church. Then I'm going to read five verses to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So 1 Corinthians 14 verses 1 to 5, here's what Paul writes. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Notice the three choices of words. Edification, exhortation, and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. One who prophesies, edifies, or builds up, the word edify means to build up, builds up the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, and greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edification or edifying. Now by the way, that particular scripture has been used by two sides of the fence in the uh, church universal the side that would be uh, the Pentecostal charismatic side use it to support speaking in tongues and yes this is really important Paul says I would that everyone spoke in tongues and then of course the other side comes along and says yeah but he also says that uh, tongues isn't all that good we should prophesy more and that's how we take the scripture and use it to our advantage. We're just trying to use it to understand that there's more than foretelling in, in related to prophecy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 31, Paul writes, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. Now he's not talking about learning to prophesy, he's learning from what is being taught. What is being exhorted, what is being encouraged within the fellowship. Therefore, here in verse 20 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it's reasonable to assume that Paul is warning against despising both foretelling and forthtelling, both predicting the future and teaching, preaching, etc. Well, why would he do that? We'll get there. What does it mean to despise prophetic utterances? To despise prophesying then is to despise both the foretelling and the forthtelling by treating them as worthless, unnecessary, treating them with disdain, rejecting them as unimportant. And we tend to do that based on our theological base, roots, what we've been taught, what particular denominational group we belong to, um, what our Bible training has been, or maybe just our pride. And we are not to allow these kinds of things to affect how we listen to who is speaking, whether it's foretelling or forth-telling. The Christians in Corinth did this when they began to argue over who was the right teacher to follow. And they were debating between two, Paul and Apollos. It's as if they were deciding who was worth listening to and who wasn't worth listening to. Now, it's probably hard for us to imagine that Apollos would take precedence over Paul. We grew up in a religious setting where Paul is... And I say this respectfully and in the best way, just comparatively, equal to Jesus Christ. Well, apparently for them, that wasn't the case. Some of them thought Apollos was ahead of Paul. So they were trying to debate this and argue this out. And they were trying to decide whose teaching should be followed and whose teaching could be ignored or rejected. You read that in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 7. And in addition, these same Christians, Corinthian Christians, they appear to have done this when they exalted speaking in tongues over the full range of prophecy. And in this case, they were acting as if speaking in tongues was spiritually superior to prophesying or as if speaking in tongues was proof of the Holy Spirit's empowerment and leading while teaching, preaching, and predicting the future wasn't. Or as if tongues was a miraculous work of the Spirit, while prophesying was just a more common work of the Spirit. In other words, the Corinthian Christians treated foretelling and forthtelling as less important, less spiritual, less proof of the Holy Spirit's empowerment and leading, and less miraculous in nature than speaking in tongues. Do not despise prophetic utterances, Paul writes, to the Thessalonians. Now, Corinth was also in that area of the world where Thessalonica was. And it's very possible that there was some influence going back and forth between the churches. So returning to the portion that we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians, we don't know exactly why Paul warns against despising prophesying. However, one of the reasons may be explained by the fact that Paul spent the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 correcting and clarifying the wrong and misleading teaching that was going on in the church, maybe even future predictions that were wrong or misleading related to the end times. And we looked at that several months back. Another reason Paul may have warned against despising prophetic utterances comes from chapter 5, verse 12 in 1 Thessalonians, where Paul exhorts the believers to know those who diligently labor among them so as to be able to discern the quality of their spirituality, the Christian maturity of the speaker, and the daily living of the speaker. So why might this be important? Well, the purpose for knowing your leaders in this way is to help you decide if they have the qualities of godliness that makes them worthy of being followed. And it's possible, I'm speculating here, please, it is possible the Thessalonian believers are thinking that if it wasn't Paul or Silvanus or Timothy teaching or preaching, then the person speaking wasn't worth listening to or wasn't worth being taken seriously. So how does this apply to us? We should assume. We should assume that God still speaks. Just as he did in the Old Testament and in the early days of the church. I grew up in a setting where we believe that God speaks, but not through tongues or prophecy any longer. That ended. And uh, that is not an uncommon belief in a certain segment of the body of Christ. I'm recommending that we assume that God still speaks however he wants, whenever he wants. And so we should not conclude that foretelling no longer exists or that a proclaimed prophecy is a farce. We should not assume that only teachers and preachers who come from our group or who are popular currently in the culture, Christian culture or who are part of our denomination or who agree with our statement of faith are worth listening to. There may be others worth listening to. However, neither are we to take everything that is taught or said or prophesied as God's truth because not all foretelling or forthtelling is from God. And so Paul continues on to say, verse 21, first part, examine everything carefully. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but here's the exception examine everything carefully. When we were part of Northwest Church and Uh, speaking in tongues and prophesying was beginning to kind of uh, surge ahead within the congregation. My recommendation was that we put, and we didn't have other means, so I said, let's put a big blackboard up in the front of the church, and whoever prophesies, we write their name and we write the prophecy out. And if it doesn't come true, then we ask that person not to do this anymore in the service. That went over, as we say, like a lead balloon. Um, It wasn't an appreciated suggestion, but to this day, I think that we should examine what people say. We should discern whether it comes true or not. Uh, The Late Great Planet Earth was a book that not only spoke about prophecy, but prophesied. And uh, none of those things came true. It did not work out the way it was written. That should give us cause to be very careful in listening to the fellow that wrote that book. So my point is we should listen. We should listen carefully and we should examine carefully. Do not blindly thoughtlessly accept what is taught even by me and what is foretold as if it is authentic and unquestionably from God but on the other side of that be careful not to get an attitude or a mindset or hold a theological position that treats all foretelling and certain theologically based forthtelling with disdain or rejects them as unimportant, or regards them as unworthy. I listened to a sermon today from a group that I personally do not support, their theological position. But as I listened and thought, a lot of good things were said. And I could say at the end of that teaching, these were really good things, and I'm glad they were said publicly that the people heard this. I can listen. I do not have to reject groups. I do not have to reject uh, denominations. I don't have to reject theological positions. I and you, we can listen. But we need to listen with a discerning ear. We need to recognize what is true and what is not. So the godly way is to carefully, thoughtfully, and without bias, analyze and test what is being said or written, and I'm going to add, sung. We sing songs that should make us quake sometimes because they are so far from the scriptures, so far from the truth that it's sad. We should carefully, thoughtfully, and without bias analyze and test what is said or written or sung. And how do we do this? We do this by using the word of God to measure the truthfulness and therefore the worthiness of these things to see if they are to be believed If and if so, then practiced. And my point here is that the word of God is our one immovable anchor. It's the one anchor that is stationary, steady, constant. And we are to test what anyone says about God or godly living in the future against the word of God. This means that whatever is taught or foretold must in some, and these are my words, must in some rational, reasonable, and clear way fit into and agree with or help clarify or show us how to apply in practical ways what is in the word of God. A number of years ago, a book came out that became very popular. And uh, I was asked to read it, and so I, I would not have read it otherwise, but because I was asked, and the person who asked it, I said, okay, I'll agree to read this, and the book is The Shack. It is quite an interesting book, and there is much in it that is very good. But if you aren't discerning, it is easy to get pulled into that book and think it's all good. But it's not. There's a number of things in there that are misleading, that do not align with or support or can be defended from the Word of God. And yet, Christians read it like it was the Scripture. We find an example of what I'm recommending us to do in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. And uh, this is interesting because it fits the very book we are studying. And in Acts 17, 11, it says, Now the Bereans, and the Bereans were being taught by Paul and Silas, uh, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Now Paul has wonderful things to say about the Thessalonian believers. We started out with that. But here is Luke's account, and he says, you know, those Bereans, they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because the Bereans received the word with great eagerness. They listened. They wanted to listen. They listened, but they also examined the scriptures daily. Basically, for them, it was the Old Testament. To see whether the things they were being taught were true true or so. That's quite a statement. Here's a group of people that were listening to Paul and Silas. I mean, Paul and Silas, and they still went home and got their scriptures out and they looked in the scriptures to see if what these guys were teaching them was actually true. A second example comes from Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through the beginning of 31, where Paul warned the elders from Ephesus about misleading and even intentionally bad teaching. And here's what Paul told them. And by the way, Paul was kind of finishing up a journey and uh, the work that he was doing, and it wasn't that long after that that he was carted off to Rome. But he's saying this to the uh, elders from Ephesus, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then Paul says these words, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So you're going to have to listen carefully. You're going to have to examine what is taught. You're going to have to look beyond the, the show and see the underlying reality. And then he says, and from among your own selves, people within your own group will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. What's the goal here? The goal of these people is to get a following, to, to, to become known as somebody important. And they're going to pervert the truth to do that. Do we not see the reality of this in our day? Therefore, Paul says, be on the alert. So what criteria do we use for examining foretelling and foretelling? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 18, Jesus said to examine the fruit or the outcome of the speaker's ministry. Wow, how about that? In other words, examine the way their followers live. Why? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons. Maybe you can come up with some more. First, because false teachers and false prophets can look and sound authentic, especially to new or immature believers and to those who haven't trained their spiritual and mental senses to discern good and evil according to God's standard of good and evil. Therefore, if you look at how their followers live, it'll give you a clue to whether the leader is worth listening to and following. You're not just writing them off, you're putting them to the test. You see, to limit the number of Christians being misled... By foretelling and forthtelling, we do need to carefully examine not just what is being said, but also, according to Jesus, how the followers live. A second reason that this is important and that it works is to examine the way a leader's followers live is, uh, and by the way, live in their home, the workplace, and the community, and the church, and the church... That's a clear indication of the leader's character, the leader's faith in God, the leader's obedience to God, the leader's knowledge of God, and the spiritual health of the leader. We've had at least three in the last two years calls from other churches where the pastor and somebody in the church, they were having a conflict, fight, power struggle, the church was lining up behind the two or three different groups and the pastor was unable or unwilling to do what needed to be done in order to bring order and sanity and resolution and a sense of community to the situation. They were as much a part of the problem as everybody else. This is the way the leaders Followers live. That's just an example of it. Many leaders are able to say the right words. There is no doubt about this. All you have to do is be educated. But only those who are spiritually, mentally, and emotionally healthy can lead people into the reality of God's word. And so produce Christians who live according to the truth that's being taught. And so the size of a four-teller or fourth-teller's following. He may have a huge following, or she. Or his popularity within religious circles, or the number of books sold. These things are insignificant when determining the speaker's worthiness to be taken seriously. Because many people hop on board does not mean the speaker's right. Huge numbers bought the book, read the book, studied the book, the purpose-driven church, the purpose-driven life. What's happened to that? How are those folks living today? We should look at that, ponder that, consider that. In Romans chapter 16, verses 17 to 18, Paul adds three more criteria. And by the way, there's more criteria for making these judgments uh, when examining forth, foretelling and forth Verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those teachers and leaders who, number one, cause dissensions, that is, disagreements resulting in angry words or strife or damaged relationships and divisions. In my younger day, when I was more zealous about debating theology, Uh, not because I was uh, so committed to the theology, but I was, I just liked the debate. So I was invested in those things, and I came across several people in the church where we were attending at the time who had very strong opinions, and they were in leadership, and those opinions... And they're pushing those things created disagreements. It brought angry words. It brought strife and damaged relationships and division. That's the mark of someone who ought not to be followed. We should look for that. And the second thing is, watch out for those who cause hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. Hindering believers from living according to God's word happens when we teach people something that is different than or contrary to God's word. And number three, for such teachers and leaders are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. In other words, if you look beneath the outward show of ministry, you will find that their strongest or their underlying motive for being in ministry is the gratification of self and some selfish interests in one form or another. I don't mean to pick on this couple, yet they're a classic example. Jimmy and Tammy Faye Baker ran a the PTL ministry for a number of years and many Christians got involved, bought properties, sent money, supported them. Nobody looked at how they were living why they were in this. Yes, they could say they were in it for God. They were in it for uh, evangelizing the world, uh, starting, they got a satellite and had radio stations around the world. And these were good things, there is no question. Let us never take anything away from the good that was done. But why were they in it? What was the underlying motive? And that didn't come out to most people until it was exposed. I think we could have seen it much earlier. Because their behavior, the way they talked, the way they ran the organization, the way they dealt uh, with their programs, to me, gave a lot away about they themselves. Listen with discernment. These kind of people will use smooth and flattering speech to deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They will sound good. Sounding good is not the criteria. Look beyond the words. I want to leave us with four statements. May we be like the Bereans, and treat foretelling and forthtelling with respect and an open mind. Doesn't matter what the denomination, doesn't matter what the theological position. Let us at least listen with respect and an open mind while also taking the time to appropriately test what we are being told, test against the Word of God to see if it is true. Second, May we be like the believers in Ephesus who God commends for putting to the test Revelation chapter 2 who God commends for putting to the test those who call themselves apostles yet weren't so that we test and turn away from those who are false leaders. Number three. May we follow the advice of Thomas Akempis who I appreciate. You may not. But Thomas the Kempis said this, Do not be influenced by the importance of the writer. He may be the most famous person at the moment in the church. Do not be influenced by the importance of the writer and whether his learning be great or small. But let the love of God's pure truth draw you to thoughtfully listen and read. Do not inquire who said this but pay attention to what is said. Men pass away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And fourth, let us not allow our theological or denominational biases or our allegiance to a particular teacher or local church or our Bible education or our pride automatically or mindlessly turn us against a fourth teller or foreteller. Instead, let us listen carefully to what they have to say and then test its worth by comparing it to the word of God.